Hi, my name is Winnie. Today, I'm going to read Luke chapter 10, 1 to 20. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, May God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, We wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And now this, the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, even with Sodom will be better off than such a town on Judgment Day. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in Wake, Tyre, and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sin long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Yes, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you, people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. Then he said to the disciples, Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me, and anyone who rejects you is rejecting me, and anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you.
Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Good morning. It's great to be with you today. If we haven't met, I look forward to meeting you. My name is Kirsten, and I'm one of the pastors here at Living Waters. We, as a church community, are on a long journey through the Gospel of Luke. We take breaks to study other things, but trust me, eventually we will make our way through the whole book. Today is the second in a four-week series where we are looking at Luke 9 and 10. And we're specifically looking at the reality that when Jesus calls us to follow him, he's wanting all of us. When Jesus calls us to follow him, there is a cost. As Dave said last week, following Jesus is not a task which is added to other tasks, like working a second job. Following Jesus is everything. I like to think of it this way. Imagine your life as a pie chart. Each of us have different slices of pie in our pie, of varying sizes. We might have a work slice, friends, yard work, walking the dog, parenting, cooking, caregiving, church, exercise, thinking, playing. My personal pie has a small slice entitled painting. I'm always trying to make that slice a little bigger. Um, sometimes we think that when Jesus calls us to follow him, he's asking us to add a big old slice of Jesus to our pie. And we fret about what to do to squeeze him in. Um, and that's hard because our pie already feels full. But that's not what it means to follow Jesus. When we say yes to Jesus, the whole thing becomes a Jesus pie. All the pieces matter to Jesus. Our work, our friends, our walking the dog, our parenting, our cooking, our caregiving, our church life, our exercise, our thinking, our playing. All of it becomes something that Jesus cares about, that Jesus wants to help us with, that Jesus wants to heal that Jesus wants to work through, but also something that Jesus wants to lead. Because to follow Jesus is to acknowledge that he is our Lord, and he has the right to speak into and shape every area of your life. When our whole pie becomes a Jesus pie. It means we're cl growing closer to Jesus. It means that we are becoming more whole as people. But it also means that everything we do, our whole life, has a new sense of purpose and direction. Our lives become a part of a larger narrative, a bigger story that Jesus is writing, a story that involves the healing and transformation of the world. Jesus has a role for each of us to play in his ongoing work in the world. We talk of inviting Jesus into our lives, but it may be more to the point that we are invited into his. Our passage today is Luke 10, verses 1 to 20, and Winnie read that for us earlier. And in that passage, we catch a glimpse of this new purpose that Jesus gives to every part of our lives when we follow him. Participation in this plan is not always easy, but it is in the midst of this that we discover the abundant life that Jesus promises us. 
Let's take some time to look at Jesus' plan, our calling to it, and the fruit that comes from it. First off, Jesus had a plan. When I was in university, I was given a little book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. And this book was published in 1964, which means it was dated even when I read it in the 90s. But the big idea from it has always stuck with me, and it has a lot to do with our passage for today. Essentially, its main point is that Jesus had a plan. He didn't just wander around the Sea of Galilee doing whatever sounded good to him each morning. Jesus made intentional decisions about how he spent his time, where he spent his time, and who he spent his time with. The goal of this plan was to ensure that when he left earth, his followers would be prepared to continue his ministry all over the world. And it appears to have worked because I'm here and you're here over 2,000 years later, loving him, living for him, and helping each other to know him better. I find that Jesus' plan gets clearer to me if I imagine other possibilities, other ways that Jesus could have spent his precious three years of active ministry. Only three years. Isn't that crazy? He had so little time. So how did he use those three years? Well, first off, he could have spent more time with big crowds. Sure, there are times when he drew big crowds while teaching, but he spent most of his time with a small, intimate group of followers. And speaking of those followers, he could have chosen more important people to be with. Instead, he hand-selected a group of followers who were not necessarily the best and the brightest. Three fishermen, a tax collector who was essentially a traitor to his own people, a religious fanatic from a Jewish sect, a woman formerly possessed by demons. The people he chose were earthy, not scholars, not powerful. And don't you think he could have done more showy stuff when the crowds did show up? Instead, he performed his most powerful miracles for those he knew. Water turned to wine at a family wedding. A raging storm calmed in front of his 12 disciples. And when he goes up a mountain, and really reveals his glory, a moment we call the transfiguration. Not even all the disciples were there, just three. Finally, he could have spent more time in important urban centers where all the powerful people were. Instead, he spent much of his ministry in rural backwater communities around the Galilean Sea. He spent time in Samaria with people who were despised by the average Jew, and he never even tried to go to Rome or any other great cities in the empire. What we find when we look at what Jesus did is that he spent most of his time with a small group of followers, only extraordinary because they were willing to follow him. He told them to follow him, and they did. They traveled with him as a group. They watched him cast out demons and heal people. They cooked dinner with him and heard him pray his prayers at night. They fought with each other, which is understandable in light of who they all had been. They asked questions. Often they missed the point. But the result of all this time was that they really got to know Jesus. They saw the way he treated women with dignity, 
the kindness in his eyes when he paid attention to children. They saw the power, saw him do and say things that only God would do. They lived and breathed Jesus day in and day out, and he was making them new. So when Jesus turned to them, first to his core 12 followers in Luke 9, and secondly to 72 followers in our text today, when he told them to go and to declare that the kingdom of God was coming, they knew what he meant. They had lived it. They had seen it. They were witnesses, and they knew that Jesus was the best thing that had ever happened to them. They certainly didn't understand him a lot of the time, but man, they loved him. You see, Jesus' plan was not to announce to the world that he, God, had come down in human form. His plan was to live shoulder to shoulder with a small group of people, to let himself be as fully known as possible, and then to send those few people out into the world. Jesus' plan was to reveal himself to the world through people. Now, I've had my cynical moments where I've wondered about the wisdom of this plan, but it actually makes sense that this was not just Jesus' best option, but his only option to reveal himself to the world. The deep transformation that Jesus was wanting to spread all over the world couldn't have just been written down on a tablet or understood by listening to a lecture. This was the kind of transformation that could only truly be caught through relationship. People are gritty and often broken, but even in the midst of that, they're people made in the image of God, filled with the Spirit of God sharing the life they've found in Jesus with the people they come to know. When I think of what it is Jesus is calling us to do and be, I always try to remember this, that the main way that the kingdom of God is brought to life is through our relationships with other people. This might sound really obvious, but it's easy to get off track here. It can be easy to think that it's in our performance that God moves, but it's in our humanity. We're not called as people to put on a show for the world. We're called to get real with the world, to pull up close, to let them see the messy reality of our lives, to give them permission to share theirs, to stand next to each other in our mess and point to Jesus who makes all things new. That's Jesus' plan. In our text for today, we begin to see this plan unfold. Up to this point, we've been standing alongside Jesus' followers, watching what Jesus does. My husband and I have been really enjoying watching The Chosen, which is a crowdfunded TV series on the life of Jesus that I would really recommend. And in that, you see the disciples doing a lot of crowd control encouraging people who are waiting to see Jesus, acting as a kind of brute squad to make sure Jesus doesn't get attacked by people who dislike his ministry and message. In Luke 10, though, Jesus' followers are called to do more than just watch. 
They are commanded by Jesus to go and do the same things that they had been watching him do. Jesus lays out the plan here, and his plan is for 72 of his followers to go ahead of him in pairs to all of the neighboring villages that he's planning to go to next. Let me read verses 1 to 11 again. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. These are the instructions that Jesus gives his followers before they go. They are specific instruction for these 72 followers. But as we look at them, we get a picture of what it looks like to be called into Jesus's purposes. First, Jesus begins by reframing the way his followers look at the world. Jesus says there is a harvest that is ready, people ready for their lives to be changed by the kingdom of God. And as Jesus says this, it's likely he's thinking well beyond Judea. Jesus actually chose 72 people for this mission. And that's significant because at this time in history, there were believed to be 72 nations in the world. Jesus is reframing their way of looking at the world. And he does the same thing for us. The longer we know Jesus and experience his transformation, the more he changes our way of seeing the world and the people in it. He shares his heart for the world and for our neighbor with us. Second, when Jesus tells them to go, it's a command. I don't know if you noticed this, but Jesus actually tells his followers to pray that God would send workers out into the harvest. And then in the next sentence, he commands them to be the answer to their own prayer. The call to go is a command being given by Jesus to his followers. And he follows it up with his first warning that the journey won't be easy. I am sending you out, he says, like lambs among wolves. Dave said last week that Jesus is an honest recruiter, and he is. He wants them to be aware that he isn't sending them to do something that's easy and safe. Jesus is not necessarily calling us to go in the exact way he calls the 72 here, but he does call us to go, to follow him as he leads us into his work in the world. And there are times when that might indeed feel like being a lamb among wolves. 
He has always intended for our life with him to spill out into the world around us. Third, Jesus sends them out in groups of two. I love this. Jesus' priority is always that we live out the Christian life in community. There's no Lone Ranger hero here, going out to do epic things alone for Jesus. Instead, we have buddies supporting one another through the journey. We have a tendency in our society to always make the call of Jesus something individual. But the New Testament makes it clear again and again that the Christian life is something we live out with one another. This is one of the central ways our understanding of life changes when we allow our pie to become Jesus's pie. Jesus is always calling us to one another. Fourth, Jesus makes it very clear that they need to be dependent on Jesus. They aren't to take extra sandals. And that purse he talks about, normally wandering preachers in that time would have brought a bag that they would have used to beg for money along the way. Jesus doesn't want them to do that. He wants them to trust that God is going to take care of them. When you look at these instructions, you might feel like Jesus is making his assignment unnecessarily difficult But I think Jesus knows just how hard it is for any human being to move from self-reliance to dependence on Jesus. To move from being self-reliant to being God-reliant is one of the most central ways we become changed in relationship with Jesus. I am always finding new ways in which I need to shift to a greater reliance on Jesus. But the only way I really learn it is when I find myself in a place where self-reliance isn't an option anymore. It's when I know there is no way I can do something on my own that I really learn to trust and rely on Him. And that's exactly the position Jesus is placing His followers in here. Fifth, Jesus' way of providing for them, for these followers, is to stay with people. They are to be house guests, and Jesus gives them specific instructions on how to be polite house guests. They're not to jump around from house to house looking for the best meal. Instead, they're to eat what they're given and bless the people they're staying with. In the communities they're ministering to, they're to pour out the same gifts that Jesus has been giving, healing the sick, casting out demons, and the joyful announcement that the kingdom of God is near. Notice that they're to get up close and personal with people. We just had family staying with us for a week, and I am newly reminded that when people are in your house, you get up close, you get up personal. Now, more than ever, we live in a world both hungry for relationships and struggling with relationships. Jesus calls us to come close and to get messy. Sixth, Jesus expects that not everyone will accept what they have to offer. But he makes it very clear that whether or not people accept them is not to be their concern. And he also makes it very clear that it isn't the messengers who are being rejected. It's Jesus himself. One of the main reasons we often struggle with talking with other people about Jesus is our fear of offending people. 
I grew up in a Lutheran church uh, that didn't focus on sharing our life with Jesus, sharing like verbally about Jesus with people. And I grew up feeling that that was kind of an embarrassing thing to do, but I also knew that the Bible talked about it. And I went to university and got involved in a campus ministry. And they had these spring break outreach trips where you went to another university campus that was in session and got in conversations with people about faith, asked them good questions, learned about their journey, and hopefully shared about Jesus. Well, I signed up because I knew that my heart was wrong (laughs) because I was so scared to do that. And I cared more about what people thought of me than about people knowing Jesus. And so I went to try to change that about myself. And I hid behind other people. We would go out in pairs and there'd be one person who would pray and the other person who would talk. And I liked being the person who prayed. Um, (laughs) But over the following years, I intentionally looked for ways for that part of my heart to change, for me to be okay with being uh, rejected along with Jesus, uh, but giving people the chance to know who Jesus was. Um, What I was trying to get through my head as a student was that people thought, what people thought of me was far less important than what they thought of Jesus. And the thing that actually made that real to me was the moments when I got to see Jesus work through me, because then I got to experience the genuine joy of seeing people's lives changed. You know, I've talked a lot about the cost of participating in Jesus' work in the world, but I think it's important to point out that when the 72 followers return, there is no mention of the cost. Instead, we are told that they returned with joy. They were excited and full of life because they had seen the same goodness they had witnessed in Jesus' ministry, but this time it had flowed through them. They had seen people healed. They had seen people set free. They had discovered the incredible truth that Jesus had not just called them to watch. He had called them to follow in order that they might co-labor with him. And this is the incredible privilege that we are called to, to co-labor with Jesus. He calls us to follow him as he leads us into meaningful work in the world. He will want to change the way you see the world. He will call you to places that feel scary. He will ask you to team up with others for the journey, He will bring you to places where you have to depend on him. He will call you to get messy with people. And people will reject the Jesus in you. But as you move forward in his purposes for you, you will discover joy that you never thought you could. As you see Jesus working through your relationships with children, your life at work, your creativity, your living together with your neighbors, your hospitality to people, your life with fellow believers, your service, your play, your words, your actions, your life. When you follow Jesus' call to move beyond a self-oriented life, you will discover the great secret of the kingdom. 
that it's when you lose your life that you truly find it.